going to have a Bible reading now. I think it should appear on the screen behind us, as if by magic. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting his child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. Amen. Amen. Second week in Advent, and we're taking as a theme today, the theme of faith. Last week it was hope. This week we're going to look at faith, and I'm going to be um, just referring to that passage from Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to have it open. Um, but all of the characters in the, in the Christmas story were challenged, I think, in their faith at some point or another, challenged to go beyond what they were uh, used to, their normal understanding, um, and, and, and challenged to do things that they perhaps had never imagined that they could, be, they could do. And I was reminded when I was looking at this passage of when um, my wife and I went to Portobello Baptist Church, I think around about eight, eight years ago now. And when we went, there was about 15 very elderly people and no children, no young people. Church would likely have closed in a couple of years if no one had gone. They were you know, not filled with all sorts of hope and faith as to what God could do. And when I went there, I met with the congregation and I said, look, are you willing um, to change? Because in order for the church to move forward, maybe there are some changes that need to be made. And they said, of course, yes, we, we realize that. And that was, that was great. And I said, and are you willing for new people to come in? And it was almost as if I'd asked a silly question. Of course we do. We want new people to come in. After a number of months, maybe perhaps after a year or so, when we'd gone to Portobello, 
And new people had started coming. There were new people on the leadership and so on. I remember sitting in the coffee area after the morning service one Sunday morning, and I saw this elderly lady standing in the middle of the floor looking very distressed. And I went to her. I said, Mary, what's wrong? You look as if you've been upset about something. She says, Andy, as I look around, I hardly know anyone here this morning. And I knew that she had been one of the people who had said, yes, we want new people to come. But that was up there. But down there, it was almost as if she could not cope with the changes that had come to this, what perhaps for her was predictable and safe place that was her church. In her life around her, everything was changing, but as far as she was concerned, the church was something that never changes, and I know how it works, and I know the people there, but almost as if she couldn't cope with the things that she said she wanted to happen. And I think there are always times we all struggle with change, no matter who we are, even the most radical among us. When things change, perhaps not according to our plan, we struggle with it. And no doubt the characters in the Christmas story were just in that situation and had to cope with God doing something that was totally outside the box in terms of what they were used to. Um, One writer said, tradition is the living faith of the dead, honor it. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, abandon it. In other words, all the past is valuable as it shapes us for the future. But if we hang on to the past, and if the people in the Christmas story, if Mary and Joseph and if the shepherds and so on, had hung on to the past, this is how God works, this isn't how he works, sending his son into the world in this strange way, then they would not have been open to all the new things that God was doing. Harold Wilson once said, he who rejects change is the architect of decay, The only human institution which rejects progress is the cemetery. And there's a truth in that, that we've got to be willing for God to take us into new areas if we're going to grow as individuals and as a church. So I think we can learn some things from the people in the Christmas story. Perhaps we could see the first slide, please. Expect your plans to change. Look what happened. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So God's plan was starting to move into action. God was starting to move after 400 years of silence. The Messiah was about to be born to the world. And so therefore, everyone in this story, I think none of them would have imagined that it would happen in the way that it did. So if we're going to follow the God of Christmas, we need to be ready for our plans to change. Not just at Christmas, but in our lives as we're people of faith as we move forward as individuals or as a church, we need to be ready for our plans to be cast. Now, it's not wrong to plan, and we plan with God's guidance. So I'm not saying that every plan that we have is worthless. 
What I am saying is that sometimes God acts in a way and moves in a way and takes us forward in a way that we do not expect. And that's what we learn from the, the Christmas story. Now, I think the wise men, although they appeared much later in the story, they were actually pretty good because they were anticipating, they were reading the, the signs and reading the stars and reading the charts and reading the prophecies. And they kind of knew what was about to happen. There was going to be a new king. And he was about to be born, and they were led by the star. So they were pretty good at getting on board with God's plan and being guided. But if you were to ask those shepherds as they were confronted with a choir of angels in the middle of them looking after their sheep, they would have said, no, no, that wasn't what we imagined would happen tonight. We thought we were going to be looking after our sheep as we do every single day. But a choir of angels is sent to speak to this motley crew of shepherds. And they were generally rejected by the religious community in that culture because they weren't able to go regularly to the temple. They wouldn't be wearing the right clothes and they were pretty rough looking and pretty dirty from living out in the wilderness looking after sheep. But God sends his best choir to sing to this motley group of shepherds. And then they they move and they go to Bethlehem to see the gift of Jesus in this manger. And I certainly know that Mary and Joseph, their plans would have been quite different, I imagine. Well, we're, we're just engaged. We, we, we'll need to save up to, to get married. And nowadays, you know all about that. People will spend tens of thousands on a wedding. And that sometimes people will spend years waiting to get married. And I would imagine Mary and Joseph would be planning and thinking, yes, we want to have a good wedding, but we're not that rich and we'll have to save up for it. And we'll have to think about where we're going to live. So I don't know what they did in their culture, build a house or buy a house or rent a house or whatever. And then perhaps at some point in the, again, we'll need to keep saving, but we want to have a family, so we'll have to think about that. And their plans would be along the normal lines of a young couple coming together in marriage. But God steps in, and he's got a different plan. He's got a different view of how, and they are going to be key players in this wonderful story of the coming of the Messiah into the world. And again and again, you will find the great heroes of the faith in the Bible, they... they they are effective because they are willing to go along with God's new plan for their lives. I was reading Philippians during the week and thinking about Paul stuck in a prison cell writing to the churches, um, including Philippians. But that would not be his plan. He was a, a church planter. He was an apostle. He'd seen whole communities turn around for the gospel. He'd seen hundreds, thousands converted. He'd seen people raised from the dead. He'd seen people healed. And he was desperate to go around and visit all the churches that he'd planted. But God had a different plan for him. And if I were Paul, I would have thought, well, God, you've got it wrong. I can't do what I'm gifted to do. I'm stuck in this prison. And all he could do was write letters. But if he hadn't written those letters, the depth of our faith would be uh, not where it is because we can read the letters that he sent to the churches. As far as Paul was concerned, his plan would be somewhere else, but God allowed 
the negative, the, the, the imprisonment to happen in order for him to even be even more effective. And in the prison, he's saying, I, I'm, I'm still pressing on. I'm still wanting to know more of Jesus. I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection there in the prison. So in the restriction of the new plan that God brings into his life, he finds a greater understanding and experience of God. And I wonder if there's something that's changed in your life, a plan that's been blocked or, or something that's been changed and God's allowed something to come in, into your life that you had not anticipated. And maybe it's cast a shadow over you for whatever reason it might be. It might be your health. It may be redundancy. It may be the breakdown of a relationship. It may be problems in your family with your kids or your grandchildren. We all know what that feels like. And God can take us through some dark places in the journey. And we, we wouldn't sometimes wish them on our worst enemies. But as I look back on my life, I would say that it's those places that have made me most closer to Jesus because I had to cling to him and trust in him. So you've got to expect your plans to change. But the next thing is you've got to expect to leave your comfort zone. You've got to leave your comfort zone. And with your plans changing, I know you've, um, Wallace and Gromit, there's that card, the film about the trousers, what's it called again? The, long, the wrong trousers, is it? Right, okay. You remember that bit where they're, they're going on this toy train right around the living room? Speeding. And there's this sinister-looking penguin that's after them. Remember that? Um, and there's a point where they're about to run out of track. And Gromit, which I think is the dog, grabs these pieces of track and throws them, throws them, throws them as the train is going along. And that's often what your plans are like with God. And that takes you, you're trusting him in the immediate moment. You can't plan ahead. You've got to trust him day by day, which takes you out of your comfort zone. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Expect to leave your comfort zone. Was it Woody Allen said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Um, and, and sometimes if our plans don't go the way that we want them to, we're outside of the comfort zone. And you've got to be ready to leave your comfort zone, the place that's predictable, the place that happens, and it all goes the way that you have always expected it to. That's what happened with, with Mary. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Now, even given that God's plan had changed, I could imagine that they would think, well, we're bound to get somewhere to, to stay in Bethlehem because this is the Son of God who's about to be born. This is the Messiah. I'm privileged. The angel has spoken to me. He's revealed himself to Joseph. Surely the best hotel in Bethlehem will have somewhere for us to stay. But no, no, they're thrust out of their comfort zone into a stable into the place where the animals fed. And we find ourselves outside of our comfort zone when God moves in our lives sometimes. And so we've got to be ready to adjust to the new situation. And we need to trust God in it. Now again, the great heroes of the faith, when you think of Abraham, 
We read, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He set off. He and Sarah set off. Where are we going, Abraham? I haven't a clue, but God's just told us to go. Out of, their, out of the predictable, out of their comfort zone. Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he leaves the security of the Pharaoh's house in order to identify with the broken and the oppressed and the poor of his people. Out of the comfort zone, out of where he was safe, into a vulnerable place, but that's where God was calling him to go, out of the comfort zone. Think of the the early church in the book of Acts and how Jesus had said uh, in the Great Commission that you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But they were quite happy with Jerusalem because there's thousands being converted and miracles are taking place. And people are being healed and people are just sitting, waiting for Peter to go by so that his shadow is cast upon them and they're healed. I mean, it was the most wonderful experience ever. Well, why would we ever want to go from The church is growing. We can't cope with them all. It's wonderful to see what God is doing. Revival is taking place. But no, no, no. God had plans for them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. And so what happens in Acts chapter 8? Well, we read that on that day, I think that was the day that Stephen was stoned to death. And of course, James, one of the great leaders of the church, had been killed or was to be killed. Can't remember the chronology chronology of it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, out of their comfort zone. Mary and Joseph, out of their comfort zone. Abraham, out of his comfort zone. Moses, out of his comfort zone. The early church, out of their comfort zone. And we would love it to be predictable and the way that we've always known it, but God again and again, when he wants his people to move forward, says, right, are you willing to trust me outside of the comfort zone? Are you willing to go like Abraham? And I'll show you where to go and what my plan is for you. And so we need to be willing to go out of our comfort zone. Robert Louis Stevenson said, to hold the same views at 40 as we held at 20 is to have been stupefied for a score of years and take rank not as a prophet but as an unteachable brat. My goodness me, Robert, that's harsh words. Well birched and none the wiser. My goodness me. He's saying that if I hold the same view, now there's some views that you do hold for decades. I mean, that's the way it is, the foundational views of your faith. But if your understanding of how God works and what he wants you to do are exactly the same because he always did it that way, then there's something wrong there. Um, Steve Jobs, when he was starting Apple computers in his father's garage, and then I think it had grown to some extent, and he decided that they needed a new CEO, and he approached a man called John Scully, who was uh, the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, 
and he had an appointment to see John Scully, and he went into his office and he said to him, look, I'm starting this new company, Apple Computers. Would you be willing to come on board? It's exciting what's happening. Uh, we're not quite sure where it's going to go, but it's going to be exciting. And Scully said, why would I want to leave what I've got here? I've got all the money I need. I've got the uh, reputation. I've got the power. And Steve Jobs thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll try someone else. And he walked to the door of Scully's office and turned around. <clears throat> and he said, Scully, are you satisfied to live your life selling sugared water to the world, or do you want to come and change the world with me? And the rest is history. Scully left his desk, followed Steve Jobs, and Apple Computers uh, was born and came, became the legend that it was. The thing that shocked me was I discovered some years later that a young teenager in the church that I was in in Stafford who had learned design and was, was starting in the world of design entered a competition that Apple um, uh, put on in, in, in San Francisco. Apple liked what he did. They invited him to come out and they gave him a job. This young lad from the Youth Fellowship in Stafford in Rising Brook Baptist Church, where I had been the pastor. It was before my time, so I can't claim to have been his pastor. But this young man was so good, he designed the iPod, the iPad, the iMac, the iPhone, and his name was Johnny Ive. Some of you may have heard of him. He was the key designer in Apple computers. And when he left this past year, they were worried that Apple was going to go down the tubes because he was such a key person. And so here was, what I'm thinking is, how many of the young people in your church that we were, I was talking to earlier, how many of them are going to be world changers? You can't imagine who is sitting in the pews of this church. And if we as a church are willing to go with God outside of our comfort zone, who knows whether some of the young people, not in terms of computing, because Johnny Ivey's been very successful. He's worth $400 million now uh, as a designer. But who knows whether some of them will become pastors and teachers and missionaries and whatever, as we as a church create an environment where we're willing to leave our comfort zone. So you need to be, expect your plans to change. Expect to leave your comfort zone. The next thing you need to do is expect to be used by God. And that is the whole essence of this story. Because the wise men had an impact on the political realities around them as they dealt with Herod. So their change of heart had an impact upon the structures and the politics of their world. Their choice to go back another way Maybe that could be seen as a metaphor for us being changed at Bethlehem and going back into our lives and into the community and into the marketplace and into our workplace and into our family another way. They, they, they had an impact upon the politics. We're coming up to a, an election this week. And would the Christians would be expressing their values and their, their heart for God in that setting. Pray God that they will. But then Mary and Joseph were given the task of raising the Messiah, the Son of God. What an awesome task. What an incredible job to be given. 
But it's even more awesome that God himself would stoop, not just to be a human being, but to be raised and shaped and taught by a teenage mother and her husband. I mean, I find that awesome. He wasn't raised in some palace. He wasn't raised in some academic institution where he learned philosophy. He was raised by a peasant pair. He went to school with the other kids, the rough and tumble. And Mary and Joseph were called to be used by God in raising Jesus as the Son of God. And of course, the, 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 the shepherds, who incidentally were terrified. Now, these shepherds were rough, they were real men's men. They had to protect their flocks against all of the wild beasts, the lions, the bears, and so on. And they're confronted with this angel, and they are terrified when they see this angel choir. Now, if you remember, remember scraps, not that I collected scraps, but my sister did. Remember these things you used to put in books? And there was these wee cherubs, which was a kind of head with a couple of wee wings. And I don't know what they were meant to be, but they certainly weren't like the angels that the, that the shepherds saw. These were mighty heavenly warriors. And it changed them as they said, well, yes, let's go and see this wonderful event in Bethlehem. Let's go and see this new king. But we're told that they went back glorifying and praising God. So as they went back and spoke to other shepherds and spoke to their families and spoke into their community, even though rejected by the religious community, they were some of the first evangelists, some of the first missionaries, some of the first to take that message into the world. So you've got to be ready to be used by God. I wonder if you are. I wonder if you're ready to share this wonderful message with others as you go from this place. Now, sometimes we're anxious and fearful about doing that. I have to confess that sometimes I am when I'm speaking to someone I know really well and I'm thinking, shall, shall I share what I believe about Jesus? Shall I share with them what I believe? What, what if they reject that? What if they don't want to hear it? I've started in my retirement going into some of the clubs and pubs in Edinburgh doing what's called open mic. So I've been learning Lou Reed songs and Van Morrison and Stones and so on uh, to go in to sing. You say, well, how's that going to get people converted? But I'm trying to become part of a new community where I can have relationships and chat with people over a, um, a Coke for me because I'm teetotal. But as I sit there, I'm wanting desperately not to be just surrounded by church folk. I want to be out there where Jesus would be, in the pubs and the clubs, and talking to people about Jesus. But I have to confess to you that there are times when I think, I, I dare not raise it in this conversation. But I sometimes wonder if they're thinking, I know he's a, a retired minister. Why doesn't he tell me anything about Jesus? So I'm starting to trust God. And fear, you see, is an emotion. But courage is not an emotion. Courage is an action that you take despite fear. It doesn't matter how you feel. It was a, the great theologian John Wayne once said, courage is feeling afraid and saddling up anyway. So 
you will not get to the point where you've got no fear at all as you speak to your work colleagues or whatever. But courage means that despite how you perhaps feel shaking on the inside, you go ahead and, and you change the world. Expect to be used by God. I wonder what dream you have for your life or for your family or for your church. And I would ask you the question, what's holding you back then from that being realized? And what might you be afraid of? And sometimes fear has a paralyzing effect. But it's as we bring that fear to God and say, Lord, give me your strength, your courage, your boldness, then that's when our life can have an impact and be used by God. Steve McQueen, the well-known actor, he was called the king of cool 60s actor. He was in Bullet and Papillon and Great Escape, various films, but he grew up in a horrendous childhood. He had a series of alcoholic, violent stepfathers who beat him, sometimes locked him in cupboards, and eventually he ran away as a teenager, got into trouble, ended up in an approved school. Somewhere along the line, he started in acting, became famous, made his fortune, had a serious drink problem and was known as a womanizer. And then one day, an older man who was teaching him to fly an airplane, he didn't preach to him, but he was a Christian. And Steve McQueen said to him one day, he said, what is there about you? You're different. He says, well, actually, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he shared Christ with Steve McQueen. McQueen didn't become a Christian at that point, but unbeknown to this teacher of his, of his flying, he started going to his local Baptist church. He said one morning, on su- one Sunday morning, he said, come on, honey, because all Americans call their wives honey, come on, honey, get your best clothes on, best dress on, we're going to church. It blew her away. She'd never heard him say anything like that. And he went there for weeks, possibly months, and eventually the pastor of that local Baptist church prayed a prayer. He said, look, if anyone hasn't actually given their life to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you mean it, why not say it after me? Steve McQueen became a Christian. Sometime after that, he contracted terminal cancer, and he was in a clinic which had a specialist treatment of cancer, and he was dying. And he started thinking, Does, has God really forgiven all my past? Does he really know about the stuff that I got up to, the people I hurt, the choices I made? Surely, does he, has he really forgiven me for all of that? He phoned Billy Graham and he said, Billy, I need to speak to you. And Billy Graham said, I'm really busy over the next while, but I'm coming close to where you are I tell you what, I've got a stopover on the airport. You bring your limousine and we'll chat on the airplane. So Steve McQueen, in his illness, um, quite unwell, came and he sat next to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham went through a number of scriptures to say, look, God has forgiven everything. There's nothing you can do that can take God's forgiveness away from you. He loves you unconditionally. One by one, he went through the scriptures. Billy Graham left. He had phoned his friend Ronald Reagan and said, look, I'm meeting with Steve McQueen, the king of cool today, so please pray for me. And as he left the plane, Steve McQueen said, Billy, you've, you've left your Bible. And Graham looked back and said, no, no, Steve, you can have it. And he got all these verses lined and underlined to assure him that God still loved him. And when they found Steve McQueen one morning in his bed in this clinic, he'd passed away during the night. On his knee, 
was Billy Graham's Bible with his finger on one of these verses. No one shall take you out of my Father's hand. You see, there are times we go through struggles and we think, does God really forgive me unconditionally? I've known of people who have almost become paralyzed because of the choices they've made, and they can't let it go. And this whole story of Christmas is, wait a minute, guys, there's a new start here. I'm going to take the rejects. Where was it Jesus went? Among the prostitutes. He was, he was called a wine-bibber. He went the publicans, the sinners, the rejects, and he said, follow me. I will forgive you, and I will give you new life. And so we've got to be ready and to expect to be used by God. And lastly, and very briefly, the, the shortest point in the whole morning, expect the world to change. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. We haven't seen that yet, but we're working towards it, aren't we? And one day there will become a new heavens and a new earth and there will be justice and righteousness. And as Steve Jobs says, the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Dare you go out from this place and seek in his strength to change the world. I pray that I might have the courage too, and I pray that you might as well. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be the kind of people that are willing to leave our comfort zone. We, we, we want to be willing to have our plans changed by you. We want to be used by you to share this message. And oh, how we long for this world to be changed. And so we ask that, Lord, you would empower us by your Spirit to enable us to live for you and to be assured that you love us unconditionally, that everything in the past is dealt with, and that a new start, and Christmas, and the birth of Jesus, and, of course, Calvary, and Ascension, and Pentecost. The whole story means that we in this room have got something to tell the world. We ask that we might do that in Jesus' name. Amen.